Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, March 26, 2018. Got Matt Norlander here with me. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. The Final Four is set. It's Loyola Chicago because they beat Kansas State. The Ramblers are in. Michigan beat Florida State, so the Wolverines are in. Villanova beat Texas Tech, so the Wildcats are in. Kansas beat Duke in overtime, so the Jayhawks are in, which means we're going to have Loyola Chicago versus Michigan. Villanova versus Kansas. The winners will play next Monday night for the national championship. Norlander, on a scale of one to fantastic, uh, how much do you care about this Final Four? Uh, I always care about the Final Four, GP. I'd rate it a pretty damn good. And before we get into some of the stuff we just saw and, and lay out, uh, you know, the Final Four in general, I want to bring to light here and bring to attention that it's been a really good tournament. I don't know if this is the best tournament ever. In fact, maybe that will be determined – like if Loyola wins on two more buzzer beaters, maybe that would actually be the clincher or anything like that. But this is absolutely not the most ridiculous Final Four ever. You got two ones. You've got a three seed that was a trendy Final Four pick before the bracket was even released and is looking damn good. And then you've got a fantastic team out of the Valley that has really establish itself worthy of being in the final four 32 and five Loyola Chicago team so overall we've had that total that seed total by the way is what Villanova's a one Kansas a one Michigan's a three so that's five Loyola's a, so you got 16 total between the seeds that's definitely not a record but my opinion here this is the near perfect setup for a final four in terms of you get one classic of blue blood of the six. Kansas gets in. You get another modern blue blood, if you will, and arguably or maybe inarguably the best program in the sport right now because they've won 134 games over the past four years. That's not just better than any school in college basketball currently. That is the most wins in the history of men's Division One basketball over a four-year span. So Villanova is in. You've got two powerhouses in the in the final four then you get michigan which has a huge audience and has been good obviously for decades it is a major college brand you get that and then you get a very talented charming cinderella story here and that's been something that's happened frequently obviously when you really go back to mason since 2006 so you get a lot of mainstream appeal a lot of big-time fan bases, and not only that, with Loyola Chicago, you get a mid-major out of, what, the third biggest market in America, so you're also going to get a lot of additional media coverage just on the grounds there in San Antonio. So I understand whenever Duke gets there and whenever Kentucky gets there, those are big-time programs, and it might feel like, oh, you didn't get one of those in the Final Four, but I'm telling you, broadly speaking, GP, would you agree just the actual teams, the the structure of this, what we have here, is almost the best of both worlds and all we could ask for from a Final Four? I think the the best case scenario, given where we were on Saturday morning, would have been Duke against Loyola Chicago for a national championship. I mean, because I, I, though Kansas is a traditional blue blood and a big, big brand, I don't think there's a bigger brand in college basketball than Duke or Kentucky. Obviously, Kentucky was eliminated. So having Duke in that Monday night, you know, with, you know, the goat of coaching with Marvin Bagley, with Grayson Allen, I, I think that would have been preferable for television networks um than than kansas um you know advancing but but still uh, just like you said we have a, a blue blood in kansas uh, a villanova program that has won more technically won more games in a four-year span than than any school in history although uh, my memphis friends will 
uh, will will be upset if I don't mention Memphis won 137 games uh, from 2000. We can six. We can technically, two, if you want to count that. I'm by the way, I'm all for that. Those have just been stricken from the record. Some of those, right. but I'm I I don't reject that. Right, uh, 137 for Memphis. The Derrick Rose year, the 2008 national championship game year, um, has been vacated. So obviously, it's not. It's not officially 137 wins, but 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 you get the point. Uh, you get a Villanova program that's been operating at a high level for for a while now. Um, you get a true mid major. You know this isn't. You know I, I think a lot of people have, have have described it as you know a double digit seed getting to the Final Four, which is true and and rare. But like Syracuse was a double digit seed getting to the Final Four a couple of years ago. Syracuse is Syracuse. Um, this is a true mid major from a true mid major league. Um, so that's terrific. And then Michigan is, is like you said, um, I don't know that a, it's a traditional blue blood basketball program, but it's one of the biggest brands in college athletics. And so um, I'm with you. I, I, I like this. It's not exactly what I anticipated. It, it, you know, I got two final four teams. Or no, actually only got one final four team. Right. Um, so this is not what I anticipated, but but I'm down with it. I'm looking forward to San Antonio. I really am too, um, and obviously Kansas gets back there. You know, the last time the Final Four was in San Antonio was '08, and now Bill Self gets there. Um, but actually, yeah, all right. I want to talk Kansas. I want to talk Duke, but let's talk the game first overall, GP, because um, that was. Would you agree that was the best game of the tournament so far? Just tremendous. I mean, yeah, we get good games. You know, Houston, Michigan was a was a great game. Um, but but this was like a great game between two powers, you know, Hall of Fame coaches, um, teams that have been, you know, ranked in the top five or certainly the top ten much of this season. Um, you know, lottery picks uh, on the court, it just just you know, overtime, almost had Grayson Allen hitting the game winner at the buzzer in regulation. Yeah, I mean that, that that's the most memorable game of the NCAA tournament so far. I mean, this tournament has created um, historic comebacks, buzzer beaters, um, historic upsets, uh, you know, great back and forth. But in in terms of having two powers just go shot for shot, big play after big play, I I don't think you get much better than what we had on Sunday afternoon. Fantastic. And I'm obviously there in Boston just trying to file a column off of uh, Villanova's win over Texas Tech. So I'm for, for I missed the entire first half. I, I was doing locker room stuff and I didn't see any of that. And then the second half, I'm kind of watching and writing, watching and writing. And then uh, sitting with our bud, Rob Doster. And uh, obviously there was, you know, a bunch of media people around us watching the final minutes of regulation and then in overtime. And it is it's interesting because. It means it's the end of Grayson Allen's career, and we can get to the results of Duke losing and all that in just a second. But just in terms of the game, um, the, the, if the ball goes in and it hit the rim like four or five times off the backboard, if it goes in and no matter what ha- – like, well, one, Duke maybe wins the national title. Like, they, they get to the Final Four, they wind up, you know, just having two tremendous games with great talent. They win a title and everything changes. And it's it's a whole different thing in a different universe, and that is very intriguing. And instead, Grayson Allen doesn't get that highlight he gets just the miss on a kind of a quirky possession there. And unfortunately uh, for Duke, also a little bit of a microcosm for the game because although I didn't see the first half, um, our, our friend Brian Snow 
tweeted and pointed out that Marvin Bagley had nine shots total, and Bagley did not get touches down the stretch in regulation or even enough in overtime and was not as dominant as he normally is, um, just in terms of his overall presence there with rebounds. Wendell Carter had his issues as well, but uh, it's just it's interesting how a shot doesn't go in, and it almost did go in, and it just changes so much about this tournament and and potentially like Grayson Allen's going to be remembered for the tripping he did in college. That's going to be the first thing he'll be remembered for how he came off the bench and helped Duke win a national championship as a freshman. And then this could have been the third thing. Hey, Grayson Allen hit that incredibly weird shot that got Duke over Kansas right at the buzzer in the amazing elite eight game in Omaha. They don't get that Kansas instead gets the win. I love a classic Elite Eight game. A couple years ago, I posted about the best Elite Eight games ever. This one's got to be, I got to think this is in the top ten here. Now, I guess in part because of the schools involved, but just the, the pace of it, the back and forth, the, you know, the volleys to and fro, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got a little bit of an overtime there, too. I think that even elevates it even more. And I'll just wrap with this. Obviously, congrats to Kansas. I wrote and said in late January the way that Kansas was playing, this team did not have a shot at the Final Four. I said it. I own it. I was wrong. Now, if that if that Kansas team that was playing then had played last night, they wouldn't have won the game. They came back, but I did not think that they were going to be able to do this. And, in fact, I even said if they were going to do it, they'd need a break in the bracket. Well, that didn't happen. They got a good push early from Penn. They got a really tough game from Seton Hall. You can say they got kind of a whatever game in the Sweet 16 against Clemson. That's fine, but Clemson was good, and they had routed their first two opponents. So Kansas beat them fair and square. And then they got the best two seed in the field and got pushed totally to to the brink there and got the win. Kudos to Kansas, and obviously that fan base, uh, you can give it to me all you want. That's fine. Old takes exposed. I'll take it in full. Um, but Bill Self was also due. He's had a lot of good one and two seeds and teams that have been better than this one, and they've been knocked out of the tournament. It's funny how March can be sometimes parish because this team, which is not his best, is going to get there and, and get there through a very tough road. And if you saw at the buzzer, like Bill was super excited. Like you would be going to a Final Four, but especially so. And I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you and I talked about this, but I talked about it with somebody else. You know, in his press conference leading up, to the Elite Eight game, without being prompted, he mentioned that he had lost seven times in the Elite Eight. He brought it up because uh, we were airing the, the the press conference live on CBS Sports Network. And I thought that was, was interesting because it suggested that he was very aware of, of that negative on his resume. I mean, this is a guy who's a Hall of Fame coach. He's got a national championship. He's won an unprecedented level, um, uh, an unprecedented number of, of consecutive conference championships. He's terrific. And yet he hasn't always been terrific in that moment that he was in yesterday. And it seemed like not so much a celebration, but but somewhat like a sense of relief. Like, thank God I didn't lose again. And uh, I, I thought that was interesting to see. And I, I might not have noticed it if not for hearing him you know, a point out 24 hours earlier, you know, I haven't always won this game and, and it, which is essentially what he said. And so it did feel like he was relieved a little bit to not have to answer questions about losing in the elite eight as a one seed once again. Yeah. He, he there's no doubt he was aware of that. And, you know, Kansas fans have lived a very interesting experience uh, since self got there essentially. And if you really want to go back to the Roy era, that's fine for 
for some of the OGs that might be uh, the 40 year and 50 year olds that are podcast diehards, we love this. Shout out to you. But the, the program itself has been obviously so good for so long, but it's specifically under self and how dominant it's been in the Big 12 and how it's had its heart broken in the tournament uh, and, uh, and sometimes not lived up to seed expectation and other times just been picked off in the Sweet 16 or particularly the Elite Eight under self. He is too good and that program is too good not to get to more Final Fours than it has. If you want to say that, I guess that's a fair criticism, but it also is the nature of the beast of the tournament and it looked like Bill Self won the national title when he was celebrating on the sideline like that. He was letting out something from deep within because I think he just knows this is not my most talented team. This probably, honestly, this is not even one of my seven or eight best teams I've ever had at Kansas. And yet, won the regular season title, won the Big 12 tournament title, get to a Final Four in the same year in which they lost three games at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Lost three games at home, right? And is that right? Or they lost two at field, or they lost Arizona State and KC. They, they lost, lost more games inside Allen Fieldhouse than they've ever lost. Yes. Um, under Bill Self, right? They they lost the game to, uh, to Arizona State, not in Fog Allen, but they lost at Texas to Texas Tech at home. They lost to Oklahoma State at home. So three games. Uh, no, no, Arizona State was at home. Washington was the semi home one. So right. three in Allen, four with within the region, so to speak. And yet, this is the team that's going to get to the Final Four. Devontae Graham's been tremendous, obviously a first team All America level. Uh, Svee did a great job on Bagley. So. Kansas fans, you know, you were kind of owed one in terms of a Final Four run, given how you've had better teams and more collective talent in years past that didn't break through. It's funny, if you stick around long enough, things might swing back your way. That's exactly what's happened here. GP, did this, I was, I got asked this by uh, by Andrew Perloff, who's a, uh, uh, one of the guys on the Dan Patrick Show. He just, I hadn't thought about this. He said, do you think this Duke team underachieved? Before I give you my answer, what is your response to that question? My my one word answer is no. Um, expanding on that thought, you know, you, you pointed out earlier, and I, I thought this was uh, worth discussing. You know, if Duke wins yesterday, Duke might win the national title. And, and who knows? Like Duke could also lose to Villanova or lose to Michigan or Loyola in the championship game. But you know, I saw some tweets over the past however many hours since the game went final that says um, exactly what you pointed out, Duke. Duke underachieved again, preseason number one, you know, didn't, you know, can't even get to a final four. And then, you know, this is evidence that you can't win with a roster like Duke's roster. If Grayson Allen's ball goes in at the end of regulation, like we're not even having this conversation. You know, it's the nature of the tournament. It's a single elimination event. We're not playing seven game series here. The best teams do not get to the final four. Um, the best teams don't always win. And so to to draw these um, big grand conclusions from the outcomes of 40-minute of basketball games, or in the case of Duke, Kansas, 45, seems silly to me. Uh, Duke, on paper, in the preseason, looked like a national championship contender. It was. It, 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 a ball didn't go its way. You know, if... if if Grayson Allen's shot goes in, they win. If Wendell Carter isn't called for a block when it was so clearly a charge, they win. If a out-of-bounds play doesn't get overturned in, you know, in, in a crucial moment, perhaps they win. And, and so the idea that Duke underachieved, like if you want to just go, hey, they were preseason number one, they didn't make the Final Four, 
they underachieve. Like I, you can make that point uh, on some debate show on television, but it's silly. Like only one. If you set the bar at national championship or you're a disappointment, my, I mean, that's an incredible bar to set. It's almost impossible. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the way I would judge a team is is based on this. Ultimately, did they did they give it themselves a realistic chance to win a national championship? Yes, I think they did with Duke, and and then the ball just didn't bounce their way. The calls didn't go their way. And and that's that, you know, and, and now next year they'll do the exact same thing on paper. They'll look like a national championship contender. And if they show themselves to be that, you know, in the month of March, then then you're doing about as well as you can do. You know, only one team wins the national championship every season. Um, you know, you're losing in overtime to a, a Kansas team that was also considered a national championship contender from the jump. Um, I, I don't think turns your season into uh, a disappointment. It is disappointing, but the idea that Duke somehow underachieved uh, relative to any sort of sort of normal expectation uh, seems a bit ridiculous to me. Uh, yeah, we are absolutely on the same page here. Um, listen, this is obviously it's it's almost too easy fodder hay feed for just general discussion. Um, I w- I would say this. It's <laughs> Allen missing the shot, your point on that is is dead on. And if anything, think about when, like, Gordon Hayward's missed shot, the fact that it missed, we don't say, ah, that's why why a team from the Valley, a team from the Horizon, they can never win a national championship. No, actually. Actually, now we actually think Loyola actually has a shot at maybe winning this whole damn thing, not just because it's good, but because Butler went to its final shot against Duke in 2010. Okay, So if anything, it's the exact opposite effect overall. Duke's season this year, very fascinating. Um, and I think there are probably a few coaches in the business that are happy that this team is out of the tournament because Bagley getting into Duke when he did how he did has never sat well with some coaches, and it was almost like, yeah, you, you know what, you didn't deserve to win this. Whether that's fair or not, whatever. I'm just telling you, there are coaches that feel that way. But once he got to campus and got on, yeah, Duke shot to the to the top of the polls in the eyes of plenty and many, and was considered, to me, rightfully so, um, the most talented team in the sport. Now, I actually think Villanova has built itself into a damn talented team and might might really have a case of. To go right there with Duke, I think Duke will wind up having more draft picks on this roster than Villanova will have, maybe by just one guy overall. But Duke can't be a disappointment, okay? It's third in Ken Palm right now, won 29 games, lost in the Elite Eight in an epic in overtime against a Hall of Fame coach on a, against a team that had a top five player in the sport, was a fellow one seed, and this doesn't mean just quite as much, but the you know the game was relatively close to Kansas's backyard, uh, so to speak. And from what I gather, I think it was you know, it was Rock Chalk North just a little bit uh, with how many Kansas fans showed up. So I understand that you won once and lost twice to UNC, and you didn't win the ACC regular season title, and you didn't win the ACC tournament title. You're preseason number one, and your season ends without a Final Four. You have to take the totality of the season into account. And what Duke did, I would lean on it not being 
an underachieving team overall. I understand if you want to make the argument for it, but if you're really going to hinge that on a Grayson Allen shot that bounces off the rim, off the backboard, hits the rim three more times, and doesn't fall in, that seems foolish given all the things that Parrish already laid out. But Duke this year was a fascinating case, and in terms of their future, that can wait for another podcast. We'll, get, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about who's leaving and what comes back, and that's off-season stuff. I hadn't heard much of the of the Bagley backlash. Um, that's interesting that you say that. I will say, did you see the story in the Oregonian? I haven't yet, and a few people both at mentioned us on Twitter. I, I I will try and read it today. I've had that pointed out to me a few times, so I can't speak to you. If you want to bring it up, you can. I haven't read it yet, so I'm not sure what it uh, what it asserts or what it shows in reports. Honestly, it, it just touches on something that we have talked about on this podcast many times. Like, it's not a secret that Marvin Bagley's father ran a EYBL Nike program, and Nike is um, basically free or def- 100% free to fund that program however it sees fit. And so you and I have discussed this for a while. Like how much money was placed into um, you know, the, an account to run that, that EYBL program? Like for instance, if it typically cost – $50,000 to run an EYBL team. And I'm just throwing that number out there. What's to stop Nike from giving Marvin Bagley's father $250,000 to run that program or $500,000 to run that program? And, you know, we've, we've touched on that many times. And the Oregonian obviously didn't have – I shouldn't say obviously, but they did not have access to any sort of document um, that shows what Nike has paid – a Marvin Bagley's father, or, or Marvin Bagley's father's EYBL program, what they've invested in that program to allow it to to function, because it was a program built around him. Um, but they did show that in recent years the family uh, filed bankruptcy, and subsequent to that, moved into a really nice neighborhood with a home that. Uh, valued at a, a price that doesn't really make sense if you a haven't had any noticeable or 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 documented you know change in 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 career um but you know but but also like if you just filed bankruptcy a few years earlier in in other words if you connect the dots it suggests that they got money from somewhere and you know the fact that we know the FBI um, has subpoenaed uh, documents from shoe companies and all sorts of different places. Um, you know, it, it it seems to suggest that that we will know at some point that Marvin Bagley's family was, or at least the EYBL program um, run by Marvin Bagley's father, um, you know, was was well compensated to run that EYBL program. And whether or not that means that Duke will be in any trouble um, is, is unclear. I suspect the explanation would be Nike can do whatever it wants to do when it comes to funding an EYBL program. And nobody ever paid Marvin Bagley's family to go to Duke um, any more than it paid it to go to Kentucky or Syracuse or Ohio state or any other Nike program. He picked where he wanted to go. And so I, I, I would assume that it might not be a problem at all. But it is interesting. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if it'll be a problem. I, it is definitely interesting in just the way that that world operates. And remember, it it wasn't even that so much, which, you know, maybe there was a little bit of scuttlebutt around just that in general. But it was also, how is Bagley able to reclassify so late, get all these courses finished, and have it be on the up and up to where Duke and the NCAA are clearing his transcript and saying that he is, in effect, a, a high school graduate as as he has, he has gone through an accelerated senior year on that let me ask you this do you know anybody in your real normal life who reclassified no that's of course not. gp think about that of course not <laughs> think about like i don't know a single human outside of a basketball player who's ever graduated high school early it's I insane i know it, it is bizarre and uh, the bagley family in duke would tell you that this was kind of in fact i think I want to say that Shashevsky even talked about this on the record after he committed and had signed and was enrolled and all that. And like, it was almost like quietly Duke was telling the Bagley family, hey, just get your stuff done and we think that we can get you in. If you want to really come to Duke, get ahead of this. And so it went, I guess, either unnoticed or unreported for a number of months. And then I want to say it was like June. When it started to come out, hey, that you know Bagley, he may try and reclassify here and, and try and graduate, and so th- that element as well. So just, just in, like I'm not saying that anything was, you know, nefarious here, but Marvin Bagley's addition to Duke's roster to bring it to bring it on back home here. Marvin Bagley's addition to Duke's roster made the team a national title favorite slash front runner. The circumstances around his entire pre-Duke existence were worth a lot of interesting discussion, some speculation, and Duke was better for having him on its campus and, and, and being involved in that team. And the college basketball was better for having Marvin Bagley playing it. Like He was an awesome dude to watch college, play college hoops. Ultimately, he got him to the point where they're on the doorstep of the Final Four, and Allen's shot doesn't go in. Uh, but without him, I don't think Duke is a two-seed playing Kansas and Omaha. So if nothing else comes from it, was it worth it for Duke? Obviously, the answer is yes. Obviously, Duke is an amazing academic institution, but but I've been told over the years that they can get in men's basketball players. Basically, what they they can get, they can get done what they want to get done, and so I, I was surprised, and I think previous podcasts will um, will show that. You know, when we were talking about this in real time, I was surprised they were able to get him cleared so quickly. Like that happened really fast. Um, but the idea that he was able to get into Duke. Um, wasn't surprising at all. Duke, you know, uh, it, when it comes to that program, can get done basically what it what it wants to get done, and um, it, it'll just be interesting because that Oregonian story was um, was a reminder that this FBI investigation is a long ways from being over. There are going to be things that come out that might not cause actual problems for for programs, but it it could start to to show them in a, in a different light. And I, I should be be clear here. Um, if what happened with Marvin Bagley um, actually ha- – if what it appears happened with Marvin Bagley actually happened with Marvin Bagley. In other words, Nike threw a whole bunch of money into a EYBL program that his father was in control of. Um, like if, if documents show – because I imagine we're going to see these documents at some point that – you know a, 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 uh, an EYBL team from Indiana was funded at a certain number and an EYBL team run by Marvin Bagley's father was run at quite a different number, a far more substantial number. Um, 
that won't be unique to Nike and Marvin Bagley or Marvin Bagley and Duke or Duke at night. Like this stuff goes on. You know, there was a a team. I don't know if anybody will remember this other than than, than people where I live, but there was a Memphis pump and run team built out of like nowhere several years back. I believe when Thaddeus Young was a high school player and it was clearly just like a, a way to funnel money to, you know, to, Hey, you know, Hey, you coach it, put your kid on the team, build whatever team you, you know, put whoever around him that you want to put around him. And, um, and, and we'll throw a whole bunch of money at it. Uh, like that, that's not something that was invented last summer. That's been going on for a long, long time. And people have made a, um, uh, not a big deal, but they they pointed out, you know, since last summer, like Marvin Bagley's EYBL team was terrible, like they never like they they barely won at all, but that wasn't the point. I mean, Marvin, I can remember because at Peach Jam I stayed in the same hotel as as um, Bagley's EYBL team, and it was like Bagley and a bunch of mid major recruits or like non D one guys. It, Nike didn't fund that program because they were putting together a, an awesome collection of players. They funded that program around Marvin Bagley. It was essentially, you run it, put your kid on the team, and we don't even care who else is on the team. It does not matter. We just want to ha- make sure Marvin Bagley is a, quote, Nike kid, and um, and that he enrolls. Now I'm, 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 I'm being a little presumptuous, but I'm right. We want to ensure that he enrolls at a Nike school and that he's a Nike guy going forward. That's what that was about. Um, I'm not suggesting that they made Marvin Bagley go to Duke, but it certainly appears that something was done to ensure Marvin Bagley enrolled at a, at a Nike school. Sure, and then just to wrap this up real quick, Ed, to, to counter that, that happens, and a lot of the things you just said also apply to Zion Williamson's situation with the team he played on at, sure. on the grassroots level, except Adidas didn't get him to stay on track. Zion well, Williamson yeah. is going to Duke, which was, when it happened, a shock to pretty much everyone in the industry, including the people that follow recruiting every single day of the year. Right. So it doesn't always go the way it's supposed to go. Um, but you, when there is a surprise, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but when there's a surprise, it usually is somebody shutting Adidas or Under Armour as opposed to shunning Nike. When yeah. Nike gets in there deep, Nike usually gets that kid. And, and that might just simply be because Nike's in control of more basketball programs than, than any other shoe company. Yeah, that could, that could also be the case. Weird year for Duke. Interested to see what comes next year. And um, they're going to lose a lot. So they'll be, they'll be young again. And we've got the entire <laughs> offseason to build off off them. And uh, so it goes. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Not when you use SeatGeek, which is the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. You're planning on going to the Final Four down in San Antonio. I'm going to be there. Norlander's going to be there. You want to be there? Make sure to check the SeatGeek app first. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you're going to get um, 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. So you're saving money, and you're also saving time because once upon a time – um, it was not necessary, but probably intelligent to search multiple ticket sites to ensure you're getting the best seats at the best value, the best prices, the best surcharges, everything. 
Well, with SeatGeek, you don't have to worry about any of that. SeatGeek's going to handle that for you. They're going to search multiple ticket sites for you. They're going to make sure you have the best seats. They're going to identify the best value. And in a matter of, of clicks, like two clicks, once you identify your seats, uh, you're going to be purchasing tickets. So whether you're going to a, a Final Four this weekend or an NBA game, Major League Baseball gets started this week, going to a baseball game, make sure to use the promo code COLLEGEBB to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Loyola Chicago is obviously a, a massive story. Um, they're an 11 seed. They're a true mid-major, but they are now top 30 at Ken Palm. And though a double-digit seed has never made it to the national championship game, I, I don't rule it out here. Because really, all we're asking Loyola Chicago to do is do something that it's already done, uh, beat a three-seed. They beat a three-seed in SEC co-champion Tennessee. Uh, they're playing a three-seed uh, in the Michigan Wolverines. I, I think I'm picking Michigan. I I'm assuming you'll pick Michigan as well. But there's nothing crazy about Loyola Chicago playing next Monday night. Bro, now listen. My entire bracket is ridiculous. I had Purdue winning the whole thing. They didn't even get to the Elite Eight. But when we had the Sweet 16 set and they made me and you and all of our colleagues. Oh, yeah, I remember now. I got Loyola in this title game. And okay. I had them beating Gonzaga to get there, not Michigan. I'm a little less confident. But that's here or there. Maybe we'll get to that on our second podcast of the week if we want to really like break down games or any, anything like that. But, yes, Loyola is just an, an amazing story. And how about how about them winning their first three games by four points total, then wiping the floor clean with K-State? I mean, in early, like just had that game pretty much from the jump. And it this was not this was not like Mason. It wasn't like VCU. It wasn't like Butler who had these epic Elite Eight games. No. After getting three close ones, two near buzzer beaters, they don't even leave any doubt in the room. They just they just move on to San Antonio and do so, bringing along, of course, Sister Jean. But that team, I know we talked a lot about how they how well they play and how well they move the ball. It's it's fantastic. I love the fact that a team like that is going to play Michigan, and obviously how how fluid beelines offense can often be and yet this team is going to be built off of its defense Michigan has been built off of its defense and I don't know quite what to expect in terms of uh, of how the teams will play each other I just think it'll be a beautiful looking basketball game and um, to kind of echo what you said on the previous podcast I was talking to a few coaches on my drive home from Boston to Connecticut last night um, one of whom is really close with Porter Mosier and he said, he said, this game is the matchup between the two. Like, who knows if this is true? But just this is the matchup between the two cleanest coaches in college basketball. No one's cleaner than Beeline at the high major level. And Porter, uh, I know him personally. He's never done anything wrong and all that. So, so if you want to, I'm not really eager to frame this Final Four and that side of the bracket as like, you know, the year of the FBI, and now you get Loyola and Michigan. There is something to that. Like, I don't, I don't deny that. Um, but and it is something that I think. Uh, some writers and some coaches are, are taking stock of overall. I just love the fact that we get loyal in the Final Four, man. This is really cool to cover, and we have been blessed as college basketball fans to have had 
not just double-digit seeds, but just teams that, you know, VCU and Wichita State and George Mason and now Loyola and even Butler before Butler was Butler. <laughs> like, to get those kind of teams in, I think it adds a tremendous element, and I think a lot of people will be tuned in. Obviously, that game is first on TBS on Saturday. That's a 6.09 tip, Loyola-Chicago versus Michigan. And then somewhere around 8.49, 8.50, maybe 9 o'clock, you'll get Villanova versus Kansas in uh, in the big-time marquee game. And one other thing, if you want to circle back to Loyola GP, by all means, but since I got it on my brain, uh, Villanova-Kansas is not the de facto national title game. I, I think Michigan is damn good, and so if Villanova were to beat Kansas, it might actually get a tougher game from Michigan or maybe even Loyola. So I, I do reject that. Had it been Villanova-Duke, maybe I would have been a little more liable to say that. But Michigan's inclusion alone on the left side of the bracket gives you know strong credence to the fact that, no, in fact, uh, Monday night will be the actual national title game with two teams deserving to be there. Well, I was asked this like this morning on a radio show, they said, so Saturday night, Villanova, Kansas, that's the national championship game, right? I'm like, no. Like, by by the way, if Kansas and Michigan play in the championship game, Michigan will be favored over Kansas based on the metrics that are available. And so the idea that whoever wins Saturday night between Villanova, Kansas is going, you know, to to automatically be your national champion is just silly. I I know there was a point where it looked like, oh my God, the right side of the bracket is going to be significantly favored over the left side of the bracket, almost regardless of what happens. But that's not reality now. You know, um, Duke would have been favored over Michigan if they met in a championship game. Villanova would be favored over Michigan if they met in a championship game. But Kansas wouldn't. And nobody's going to be a, a double-digit favorite over anybody um, You know, when, when we play next Monday night. And so um, at, at this point, yeah, I think Villanova's probably the favorite to win the national championship. Actually, I think that's true, like based on, on Vegas um, odds. But any of these four teams can reasonably, you know, win it all. You know, I, as I've said many times, it, we're not playing a seven-game series here. It's a 40-minute game. And a lot of things can happen in a 40-minute game. And if Loyola Chicago is going to play the way that it played um, in that victory over Kansas State, then you know that version of that team is good enough to to cut nets you know next Monday night. Uh, this Loyola Chicago team is not like that VCU team or even that George Mason team in the sense that you know they just got hot at the right time. They've been hot all season. It's a 32 win team. You know some of their losses came when uh, Clayton Custer was was not healthy. They've only lost once since January 3rd, and that was a road loss by two points at Bradley. Now, I'm not saying you should brag about losing by two to Bradley. I'm just saying this team has been excellent basically all season. It is surprising that they're in the Final Four, but you take a close look at them. They they might not be one of the four best teams, but... There's nothing crazy about them winning four games in the Cincinnati tournament so far. Uh, they've been winning almost without exception for more than two months. It, it, it's been awesome. Um, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see once you know once we get on the ground in San Antonio and they have some press conferences and get to talk to the players and the coaches. Uh, basically, from Sunday through say Friday or so. How this goes. If I'm Porter Mosier, I call Shaka. I call Brad Stevens. I call Jim Lernig. I try and get these coaches on the phone that have have gone there when they weren't expecting to get there. Uh, Certainly Greg Marshall as well. Just to 
to get from them, okay, when you were a mid-major type of team and you made a Final Four, uh, what were the things that you were happy you did? In retrospect, what do you think you may have done differently? And just get get some intel on that. Um, and if I may just uh, stump for, for a thing I wrote two years ago, I, I did a 10-year retrospective on Mason's 06 run because I, th- I consider it to be one of the coolest stories in, in college basketball history because they, they're the ones that really, you know, uh, put a crack in the dam, I guess, and uh, and then speaking with the players and, and Larnag and the assistants at that time, they they look back on it as as obviously a whirlwind and and all of that. Um, but I remember talking to a few of them and the, and them saying like, okay, once we actually like got to game day and the rhythm of the game day, how long it took to get to that game, we waited like it just felt like it felt like we were waiting a week when we woke up the morning of of, of tip and the size of of the uh, of the stadium. And the baskets and all that stuff, just you know, to be a little bit more prepared if they had been able to. Hopefully, <laughs> instead they got wiped. Uh, they got wiped by Florida there. So um, that that's what I'm interested in overall. But yeah, they are good enough to do it. And here's one thing I haven't seen too many people talk about. Um, it's just a curiosity I have. Like I I think that Jim Harbaugh will probably show up on Saturday. But and maybe this wouldn't happen Saturday. Maybe if Loyola won and they got there Monday. What about Barack Obama, Chicago native, getting down to San Antonio f- for the Final Four national title game? I think that might be, I think that might be something he could be considering here. And if that happened, that'd be, uh, that would be damn cool. And it would just, it would, it's the kind of thing, almost like, honestly, like when Jordan was at the f- title game two years ago when Carolina was in, like it would just, it became like a thing, like him, be, like there were. It, there was an uh, an up an uptick in security. There was just a certain buzz. Oh, Jordan's in the building. You take that with Obama. It's, it's just it's it's another level overall. And he's already tweeted about his love of Sister Jean. And so just Paris, right? You can see how that would just add to the overall spectacle of what this Final Four could be. No question. Um, like he's he's not only a, a you know a president of the United States, but he's an immensely popular and and well liked president of the United States. By, by most people. Um, I sat across Barack one time and Michelle at a basketball game. On you a, did. On, on, a, a, on uh, a ship. On a ship. The same ship that um, Osama bin Laden's body was, I shouldn't say dumped. That's probably the wrong verb. Um, but um, placed into sea. It was that same ship. And I can tell you that when uh, Barack and Michelle were there that day, the security was crazy. Like I almost didn't get to the game. Security was so nuts. Um, they, they required us to, and of course I, this is one of the reasons I almost didn't get to the game. They required us to take our laptops to the ship the day before the game, um, because they had to go through all sorts of security. And of course I, I missed that email completely. (laughs) So I just show up on the day of with my laptop. They're like, Hey, you got a problem here. But ultimately I got in and, um, he's obviously a big basketball fan. Um, he obviously has connections to, to Chicago, so I, I have no insight to that whatsoever, but it wouldn't be the most surprising thing. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd just be, it'd be something to keep an eye on. We had uh, Vice President Joe Biden uh, show up the year Syracuse was there. Um, obviously, Biden and, Biden and Barry are, are boys, and so perhaps perhaps Obama's gotten on the horn and been like, should I, should I do this? If they make the title game, I almost think that he should, just uh, he's given his Chicago ties overall. But we'll see if they can get there. Uh, loyal Michigan will be plenty interesting. And, man, um, I'm, I'm ready to get down to San Antonio. Uh, GP, for our next podcast, uh, just you know, kind of riffing off the top of my head here, 
Uh, I leave Wednesday, as do you, I think. Um, so do we want to – like how do you want to do the schedule this week with our next two pods? I think obviously the third one has to come – well, I guess it can't come – if we do the Sunday rotation, we can't do our third one before – I mean after the, the, the semifinals. So we our next two podcasts will have to be before those games are actually played. What are your thoughts on uh, when we should do them? Wednesday, Friday? Yeah. Okay, so Wednesday after we are both in? Or yeah, I think so. In. Otherwise, because I've got a connection in Atlanta. I've got to fly east to go back west. So I've got to go Memphis to Atlanta to San Antonio. I land late afternoon. Um, but they, like we could get something done early evening if that works for your schedule. That might, that might work. Um, all right, let's uh... – We'll get something to you on Wednesday, either early or late, and then Friday as well. We'll get it. Uh, we'll get it done around media availability at some point or another. My right. Other... I, I I know on Friday we have the practice show. Right. CBS Network. We'll be airing for people who don't know. Like that's a fun day. Um, you know, all four teams you know are going to be at the Alamo Dome, uh, practicing. There will be uh, a media availability, but also. Um, you know, on the court stuff as well. And we have um, live programming. You know, we're the only network that's allowed to to broadcast that. So we'll be um, outside of the dome, inside of the dome, on the court. And it's several hours of, of, of programming. So if you're bored on Friday, you know, we'll have interviews with all the players, all the coaches, and scenes from inside the Alamo Dome on, uh, on, on CBS Sports Network. That'll be awesome. We and then we also have to figure out if uh, um, we're actually going to podcast within <laughs> within close pro- close proximity to each other. Actually, like look at each other as we talk. And I know you don't like doing that, but I might. I don't think we're staying anywhere close to each other. Oh gosh, look at you. The whole not not with the hoi polloi. You're 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 a world apart. That's problematic. Like, are, so are you not? I've never been to San Antonio, so I I will get to experience it for the first time and in the layout of the actual city. But you having been there, so you don't think you're like near where the media hotels would be and the coaches' hotels and just the stuff that's kind of all centralized there. I somebody said we're not. Okay. I haven't actually taken the time to look it up. You want to look it up right now, live on the podcast? Let's sure. look it up right now. Um, so everything like where you're pro- you're staying like near the. The arena, right? I would assume. Yeah, I'm, I'm under, I'm of the understanding that it is a walkable, reasonable walk from the media hotel to the Alamo Dome. Yes. Okay. So let's see if I can find this. Come on, come on, come on. Okay. That's not it. Okay, that's it. I found it. I'm gonna get directions from there, and now I'm gonna put in the Alamo Dome. How is this? Is this riveting? It is actually. This is this is peak podcasting right now. I am twelve miles from the Alamo. Dome. Get the hell out of here, Parrish. Twelve miles. I just figured. What it are out. you doing? What? Twelve? Twelve miles. Let me explain. Do you how realize how far that is? Do you realize how unnecessary that is? Twelve miles. Am I not going to see you again? You might not see this me is... ever. Um, this is one of the the perks of being on the television side of CBS sports is that they always stay at the nicest place available wherever it is. So like last year in, where were we last year? Phoenix. Phoenix? Yeah. You might've been in New Mexico for all I know. Yeah. I was like not, I was nowhere close to nothing, 
but but man, our resort was super duper nice. And I uh, my understanding is this is similar. We're not close to anything, but man, we're we're staying somewhere super duper nice. You know, just me and Jim Nance. <laughs> Hello, friend. Um, <laughs> just me and Jim kicking it at the resort. That's just it's a letdown. But all right, so we'll probably wind up doing this whole deal again, which is it's hey, it's working out fine for us. I get all that. Hey, hey we're doing it right now. We are doing it right now, albeit... Hey, hey, we'll be closer in San Antonio than we are right now. Might as well feel like a world away. All right, good deal. Wednesday, then. We'll talk next. I gotta go. Me too. I gotta take a nap. I'm tired. Are you tired? Man, oh man. I'll sleep when the season's over. No excuses. I'm so tired. I'm, I want to take a nap so badly. Like I got home and like I did, like the, the house is just crazy. That's the other thing. I've been gone so much that I'm so used to being alone that like people drive me crazy now. Like I came home last night. And I like I had almost had an anxiety attack last night trying to write, and like kids are just being like the kids are being kids. They're awesome. I love them. But like my god, like I'm not when you're not used to being around people. Suddenly being around people again like is weird. Well, that's why it's gonna be good that you're 12 miles away from civilization. I can't wait to be alone again. Can't wait to get to San Antonio and just be alone. Tell the listeners what they need to do. <sighs> well, first, if you want to watch us fifty thousand times on video, you can do that. CBS. That's Sports happening today. <laughs> That's happening noon hour, five o'clock hour tomorrow. We're on all the time. You're on at noon. I'm on at noon too. Well, I'm on at like twelve thirty. But anyway, what Parrish is getting to, and you can tee it up, is CBS Sports HQ is a freaking fantastic way to keep up with everything sports daily. Go ahead, GP. It's a free 24-7 streaming sports information channel with scores, news, highlights for the tournament, and all of your favorite sports. Like I said earlier, Major League, I'm looking forward to this. Major League, but Usually we don't get Major League Baseball until like the Sunday of the Final Four yes. or the Monday it's of the sun, Final Four. It's always Four. the Sunday is the first. It's opening day, basically, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. We get Sunday this uh, – we get the opening day this week. So I'll be watching the Mets on Thursday afternoon. I don't know what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. Um, so Major League Baseball, you want to get baseball news, you can do that. CBS Sports HQ. Uh, get it on your CBS Sports app for Apple TV, Roku, your phone, other connected devices, or you can just watch it online. CBSSportsHQ.com. That's CBSSportsHQ.com. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's the legend. And remember – Go subscribe to the College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. My favorite comment somebody posted just yesterday. You know what it was? I have no idea, my man. Gary Parrish and that other guy are are, are awesome on the on the on this pod, College Basketball Podcast. If you love the sp- of college basketball, you should definitely listen to this. Okay, so your favorite comment was when I was referred to as that other guy? Yes. <laughs> that's what I look for. That's that's the kind of comment I actually like. Gary Parrish and the other guy. Or Gary Parrish and his sidekick. Gary Parrish and his partner. I want the focus to be on me. So please try to leave a comment similar to that. That's, that's all I ask. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care.